You're listening to NapaBroadcasting.com. I'm your host, Jeff Sheckman. The Tubbs and Nuns fire in 2017, the Kincaid fire in 2019, the LNU Complex fire back in August, and now the Glass fire in September. All have taken their toll on the Napa Valley and wine country. The tragedy of loss of lives and homes is clearly immeasurable. But beyond that, as we've witnessed with the pandemic, is the ongoing loss after the last ember has been extinguished. The cost to business in the region is also incalculable. To take a look at this, I'm joined by Rob McMillan. He's the executive vice president and founder of Silicon Valley Bank's wine division. And it is my pleasure to welcome Rob McMillan to the California Sun podcast. Rob, thanks so much for joining us. Always happy to to, uh, be here with you, Jeff. Well, it's good to have you here. Before this current fire started, before the glass fire Talk a little bit about what you were looking at in terms of of the damage to the region, to the wine industry, the hospitality industry as a result before this fire started. Well, yeah, you have to go back to uh, the shutdowns on March 21st, the shelter shelter in place orders from uh, uh, Governor Newsom. And, uh, you know, never... Never in my experience in the 30 years or so that I've been in this business <laughs> have I ever even thought about somebody issuing an order to shut down restaurants and tasting rooms. That you know, when you're a banker, you got to manage risk, but you know you don't manage for a nuclear <laughs> a nuclear bomb <laughs> because you know, uh, and you know, and effectively we kind of had that, and um, you know, it's, it's very difficult, obviously, on everybody, stressful, and um, you know, it's not just the fact that it was closed, but but tourism was closed in the Bay Area, um, so you know that took that took a toll, and and then just right about the time in June where things started to to kind of reopen, I think everybody had this feeling like, you know, uh, COVID was the flu, and I have to I actually put myself in that box too, uh, you know, I think okay, well summer will come along and and this will be better because the flu always goes away in the summer, and. And uh, and it wasn't, you know, it just got worse. We started we started going to uh, you know different events, and uh, the, all the numbers started going. But so you know we shut back down, and and then and then right after we uh, started to reopen, the numbers got better again. Um, we we decided that okay, well we can have uh, people outside mostly. So if you want to be outside, uh, you know, socially distant, six feet all these protocols you can reopen your tasting room or or your restaurant and then we had then we had the uh, the dry lightning strikes which we had 30 days of unhealthy air in the bay area <laughs> so who wants to who wants to drink wine uh you know in smoke you know so well it's got a slight nose of right. smoke <laughs> so you know uh, and uh, and then uh, you know that those kind of went out and we we moved forward. I mean, the good news is is that I guess you know COVID has improved, but uh, you know then we get this uh, this this last round of fire with the glass fire, and uh, you know which has been pretty pretty difficult for uh, a lot of wineries that are you know right in the heart of the Napa Valley, up and up and down the hillsides here, um, largely, and uh, and you know the two seven. 2017 fires were much bigger in total acreage. Uh, LNU complex was much bigger in total acreage as well, but uh, this one is going to take more wineries uh, than the uh, 
than all the other ones combined. So it's just uh, it's just a matter of location. So you know, it's uh, it's one more thing on top of a of a string of things. And what's the old saying? You know, if I if I didn't have bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. <laughs> it's kind of it's kind of one of those one of those years. And it's just uh, I think everybody in the wine wine industry is uh, you know you try to be resilient, you try to be happy, but and I think pretty much everybody can't wait until the clock clock turns to 2021 and hope for a better right. uh, better season. Can't get much worse, I don't think. What do you see as, as the long-term impact of this? I mean, it gets to a point where after enough of these incidents that resiliency sort of isn't the answer anymore, that there are some facts on the ground, whether it relates to, to taint or whether it relates to wineries that have burnt. There are facts on the ground that are really just going to have a long-term impact no matter how resilient people might be. Well, sure. Uh, you know, to the, I don't know exactly. We're still, you know, the, we're still in an active fire zone. We're still having, uh, you know, uh, you know, different alerts coming and uh, evacuation warnings that are still being issued as we speak. So, you know, we're not out of this yet, and we have a red flag warning coming. So, we, you know, it's active, and we don't know how it's going to end up. But there's, you know, there's probably. Uh, uh, I'm going to say 15 wineries that have, you know, some level of, of damage that's, you know, modest to total. Um, I, I I don't know the exact numbers right now, but I, I'm going to say maybe, you know, a half dozen that have been um, pretty much burnt to the ground. Uh, you know, for those individual wineries, that this is very difficult. Um, the there uh, this winery on. Um, on the Silverado Trail, and, and help me, but I'm forgetting the name of it. It's next to Darius Winery, and, and and that that winery burnt down in the 2017 fires, and it still hasn't been rebuilt. And when you go you go look at the homes that were in Coffee Park uh, in in Santa Rosa, which was a, a devastating area in the 2017 fires uh, last year at this time, there were very few homes that had rebuilt or started to rebuild. Uh, so, you know, that's two years later. And when you start to think about the things that you have to go through to, to rebuild a home or a winery for that stand, from that standpoint, you got to work with the, you know, the insurance people, you have to uh, get an architect and get plans. You have to get those approved through, you know, the County and any other, uh, you know, industrial sort of approvals that you, you need on the, on the, uh, on the winery side, and there there are a few others, um, and then you got to find a contractor that you like, uh, and then you got to start. So, you know, <laughs> the time that it will take, they'll rebuild. You know, because the industry is resilient, uh, they'll, so they'll they'll rebuild. But it, you know, it's going to be several years, sadly, for them. Now, the rest of the industry will. We'll get through this. Uh, it's you know, wine has been around for oh, some somewhere around fourteen thousand years, I think, is the number. <laughs> so, so wine's not going. Wine's not going away. And in, in the scheme of life, this is a, a minor road bump. Um, and I, you know, if you want to look at the glass being, you know, slightly half full, anyways, or a quarter full. Um, it, talk about. Let's talk about the smoke tank component. So. Um, the 30 days of extended uh, bad air, uh, not only in the Bay Area, but in the western United States, um, we, we had extensive fires. And the, the fires weren't uh, started by 
lightening up in Oregon. They, I think I think the discovery is they were man-made, um, at least some of the cases in southern Oregon. Uh, I mean, uh, arson. And, um, you know, so those fires have, um, you know, across the whole western United States, laid a level of smoke across the great and, – and, We've never seen that happen. We've never we've never had an event that impacted the entirety of viticulture in the United in the Western United States. You know, we have we've had fires, we've had frosts, we've had pestilence, uh, but it's all it's all regional. And this this is the very first time that that something happened to the entire wine industry. Um, now. That's horrible, and I and I what I can say is that's probably no, it's not even probably. This is it's the uh, the biggest um, viticultural catastrophe in the history of the U.S. wine business from that standpoint. I mean, it is. There's no way around it. Outside of prohibition, and uh, and yet the other side of it is anybody that reads the reports that I write will recognize that when we got into this year. We actually had a massive oversupply of, of wine. Uh, we had been building up wine in, in tanks, building up bottles, shoving it into warehouses, pushing it out into the stores. And, um, you know, it was, we had way too much wine. And, you know, the expectation was that that was going to take several years to, to fix. Well, there's a lot of wineries, uh, the pre- especially in the North Coast, premium side, um, and even into Oregon and Washington, who are not going to produce a 2020 vintage. And and I don't remember that happening really for anybody in, in my career. Uh, and yet there's a number of, of wineries that are going to do There's a number of large growers that pick nothing this year just because of the smoke taint. So uh, I have to say uh, there is a possibility now that we will uh, come back into balance. You know, this supply and demand balance in, in mm-hmm. one year may be, it may be corrected. Um, you know, we really don't know. And so that's, it, it's a bit of a silver lining that we had the tanks full, that we had, you know, plenty of wine, because this isn't like a normal manufacturing process of, you know, if, if you run out of computer chips, you, you send back to, Asia somewhere and uh, have more made, and that's that's been the traditional mm-hmm. traditional way you, you do that. You can't very well send to Malaysia um, and uh, get uh, you know any more Napa grapes or any more Oregon grapes because they don't make them there. Uh, so you get what you get here. And if and if we would if we had started off this year with a, a shortage on the supply side that would be a far greater catastrophe uh, because that's, you'd have no sales. And in this case, what's going to happen is you're going to have the wineries that will, if they don't pick a 20, they don't have 20. What they'll do is the wineries will just take out the, the 2018 that are still available and the 2019s that are in tank. Um, and they will just spread those vintages out so that they, uh, continue to have something in the marketplace, and they'll continue to have hospitality, and and they'll move forward. You know, we've got to get through this year. We've got to get through uh, through COVID. We've got to restore normal business conditions. There's a, there's a lot of work ahead of us. There's no there's no question. It's going to be very damaging to the industry. But 
you know, the, the one of the most awesome things about this business, what attracts people to it, is it's hospitable. And uh, and the industry will welcome back uh, visitors, and I think the visitors will, will come. Will visitors go someplace else because it is such a direct-to-consumer business or become so much of one? Will they go to other places, other regions? Will it have an impact on, on the Napa Valley in that respect? Well, I, I, I would say in 2017 and, and uh, in 2019 when we had fires, um, that in fact did happen. I think you, you saw people that were into wine tourism go up into Oregon and Washington more. They had, they had uh, you know, much better results up there than they expected. So I think, I think that, does, that, that did happen. This year, I don't know that you can say it will because everybody's in the, you know, in the same boat. We all have COVID. Uh, we all have had smoke, paint, and fires. Um, so, uh, and then we all have travel restrictions. So it's, you know, it, it's a difficult time from that from that standpoint. Uh, and I, another thing I would say, if you're looking for silver linings, one of the things that the industry has had to do, and, I, and I've been talking about this for a very long time, is that there was a risk in the business models that were in place in that uh, somewhere around uh, 40% of wine sold, uh, you know, came through the tasting room or through, uh, through the wine clubs. And all your membership pretty much came through uh, people that were visiting. So, you know, you had to expect people to come to your winery in order to be in the wine club in order to sell that wine. And, you know, as a choke point, and it's a, and it's a risk. And I've been trying to get the industry to, to recognize that it didn't make sense to expect. I mean, it would be like if you had a car and uh, had to go to Detroit to pick it up. You know, you were going to buy a car and you got to go to the factory. That doesn't really make sense for everybody. And, and especially in a, in an era where we have, uh, internet and, um, and ways to, you know, buy on your, on your cell phone, we had to, you know, we had to make some changes. And so I, I talked, uh, at least 10 years ago, I started to talk about, uh, Skype tastings, which never really got, any traction um you know skype is kind of an afterthought now now that we have zoom and um and so in fact what has happened um is again back to that point of resiliency is the industry has figured out how to sell outside of the tasting room so you know the the customers really can't come to us right now uh not not really there's some that are, are <laughs> some that are quite passionate about this business and they're still coming uh, and, and more that aren't. And, uh, but what we're able to do for the first time is, uh, we're, and we're getting better and better at it is, is go to them. We're, we're bringing an experience to them, uh, a digital experience. And, and I think that's, I think that's critical because one, one other consumer change in, in all of this is the ability to work from home and people are home at five o'clock. The whole family's at home at five o'clock now. And for the first time since probably 1960, you know, a, a number of families in the United States, a very large number of families, are having family dinners again. And I, I, I don't think you could have paid people to <laughs> to have family dinners. Right. To, to, to really, if you go back a year, I don't think they would have. You couldn't have paid them to have them. I'm not going to sit down with my family. I, I'm busy. I got I got to go to soccer practice. 
<laughs> so that's a change, and it's an opportunity. And, and uh, being able to get to that dinner table uh, is the next challenge for us. And and uh, and you know this this change has given us an opportunity to to meet that challenge. From an economic perspective, when you look at it from a banker, what kind of time horizon are you looking at in terms of, of the industry maybe getting back on its feet and, and incorporating some of these things that you're talking about? I, I'd say 2022, mm-hmm. because it, it really gets down to how quickly we can get a, a handle on, uh, on COVID-19. Uh, because this is, you know, it's a tourism business. So you got to open up tourism. You got to open up plane flight. And the only way that you're going to be able to, to do all of those things is to get a vaccination. And, and the vaccinations aren't going to go smooth if we, if we can't all come to agreement about uh, the uh, the science on masks. If we can't figure out in that, that we ought to wear masks and and you know the sense of that then actually uh, coming to agreement about whether or not you're going to get a shot uh, is going to be at least equally, if not more difficult. So I I think the adoption rate is going to be slow with shots. And uh, from everything I can tell in in listening to CDC and and, uh, and, uh, epidemiologists that are working on this is, is, you know, it's not going to go away because the shots, won't be 100% effective. If they're 50, 60, 70% effective, that would be good. So we'll still have to deal with this. And, um, you know, we still will have more than likely certain levels of restrictions um, and requests about the way we uh, uh, do things, and whether it's travel or, you know, washing our hands or wearing masks. That's, we got all of next year to get through this. And so I think by the time we get to 2022, we'll have it pretty much wired. We'll have uh, hopefully a 2021 vintage that's uh, awesome and uh, not smoke tainted. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, uh, so in 2021, if we can get a, get that good vintage, we should be able to uh, start to sell it in 2022. And so that's the that's my guess, and that's my hope. And are there wineries that you think will not make it through this, that, that no matter how resilient they want to be, the economics are such that, that some may not make it through, that we might see even more consolidation? Well, it, it, yeah, it's possible. Um, but you, you, you kind of raise two, two points. One is survival, the other consolidation. And, and the truth is what happens is wineries don't go bankrupt. They don't go dark. It's not like a shoe store at a mall. Um, what happens is uh, they they sell to somebody else. Um, so the uh, you know as an example, the gentleman that bought Heights Cellar right. uh, just closed on the purchase of Burgess Wine Cellars in Napa um, like two weeks ago, and sadly Burgess uh, lost most of its most of its winery in this fire. So that's you know that's kind of a sad thing, but. Burgess isn't going to go away, and they'll they'll rebuild it, um, and and they'll move forward. On the other side of that are companies that are out there, like vintage wine estates, and they're doing roll-ups. So they they come and they they look for generally more distressed wineries um, that are are looking to get out, can't find a can't find a buyer that fit a certain uh, a certain. Uh, 
uh, type of a financial situation for them and, and in their portfolio. And, and they, you know, they buy that and they roll that into a, uh, a number of, of uh, different wineries. Foley Estates is another one that, that is a, a buyer like that, as is Gallo for that matter. Um, although I think Gallo and is uh, and largely Constellation too are probably uh, at this point more absorbing uh, the acquisitions that they have. So we, we won't see bankruptcies. Uh, we, we may see some problems with the few that have been burnt to the ground. Um, uh, that's quite a hurdle to overcome, and uh, I don't know exactly how that's going to work, but we're, we're talking few in, in total numbers. Uh, we'll, we'll still have you know, virtually every single winery that, that you can name that will, will still be around, and, and you know, some will change hands, there's no question. Rob McMillan, I thank you so much for spending time with us and uh, sharing some of this information. Really appreciate it. Hey, for your listeners out there, keep good thoughts for us. We could uh, we could use those, and uh, <laughs> please do what you can to support the, uh, the the premium wine industry in the United States. We'd appreciate it. Absolutely, thank you.